up this is darker days radio episode number 58 i'm one of your hosts mike and tonight i'm joined by chris how's it going chris hey uh yeah pretty good um yeah lots of stuff going on so yeah good um how are you doing <laughs> uh, i'm doing quite well thank you for asking um and of course joining us straight from texas where it's blazing hot outside chig How's it going, Chig? Pretty good, as long as you don't go out in that heat. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Ah, uh, so what's going on, everyone? What's everyone's gaming been like? Hmm, um, let's see. I have a watch of, uh, of Fading Sun's character sheets, because I'm going to do some pre-gen characters so we can possibly run some Fading Suns uh, in my gaming group. But otherwise, um been playing some more War Machine in Horde, so I finally got to use my Kador with, uh, at, as a 35-point army, so that's been fun. I got to use um, Alexia and her Risen, uh, which was interesting. And I've been... Um, it's up on the blog uh, already... Um, and part one of my making planets. So I um, bought some polystyrene uh, balls from the art store, and I've just been applying this uh, textured paint uh, in three different ways to get different textures to have the look of um, a gas giant, uh, a uh, uh, earth-like planet, and a small lifeless moon. So um, I mostly paint those up later on, and uh, and then this week I hopefully will have my uh, noble armada uh, fleets arrive. So I will also be painting them because you know Fasa has the rights to uh, noble armada and will be sorting out a new rule set for that game, and it would be nice to have that rule set alongside the roleplay game. Yeah, it definitely should be pretty good. Uh, your plants are looking pretty sweet so far. Um, a lot better than the old uh, GW plants I remember seeing in uh, Battlefleet Gothic. So, yeah, definitely do they do, pretty creative. I can't even remember that, the stuff they did for that. Were they quite flat or...? Yeah, they were just they just uh, took the uh, styrene balls and just painted right over them. Do they just paint them straight over? Oh, yeah, there's no boring. texture or anything, which I definitely think will help for making it uh, you know pop out a bit more when you're painting. Okay, cool. And obviously, I finished. Um, I finished another project for FASA, so I'm moving on to another one and another one and another one. <laughs> yeah, I get to spill some beans though in uh, a particular interview that we're doing right now, but we'll get to that later, I'm sure. Indeed, indeed. And Chig, what's up? What's what's been going on, man? Unfortunately, not a thing. My group hasn't been able to meet for a couple of weeks now, so. But you at least painted your little gremlins from Malifaux, right? I did paint some gremlins from Malifaux. <clears throat> yep, Ooh. that's good. Um, I may have also dropped some money on a uh, an additional army for Malifaux because it's super fun. 
Excellent. Yeah, it definitely seems like a good one. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Well, hopefully things uh, you know pick up a bit in the next couple of weeks. That should be good. Um, on my end, not too much for role playing, but uh, I went to Origins, played a whole lot of Vampire: of The Eternal Struggle, and you know, it was a three day event. Came out pretty strong day one. You know, really, really pwned some noobs overall. Mm-hmm. And then uh, day two, I just got completely crushed and tied for last place. So that wasn't very good. But then day three, as a noob. day three, it's pretty much like a Rocky movie here, guys. Day three, I come back in the loser's bracket, and I'm the champion. Champion of the loser's bracket. You are the huge. best loser. That's right. That there was. <laughs> hey, someone's got to be. <clears throat> yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, what else did I do? Oh, I played some Battletech and actually bought some Battletech dudes. So I'll be painting up some Battle Mechs. And maybe I'll post them on the blog to, uh, you know, combat all of the War Machine stuff that Chris has put up there. Yeah, well, it'll soon be uh, little spaceships. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of diversity. I mean, we even had um, someone put, say, on somewhere on Facebook, like, what's up with the Darker Days crew? They're all just painting toy soldiers right now. Um, and I think my my response to that is... There's only so much reading of books, of World of Darkness stuff, and other things, and writing roleplay stuff, and running your own roleplay things, until you reach a point where, you know, there's something satisfying uh, about just sitting down, putting something together, painting it, and and using it, and not having... It, it's, uh, it's, it's very much more tactile. Which, you know, when you're reading lots of role-play game books, you don't quite get the same experience uh, in that way. Absolutely. I totally agree with you, Chris. But, uh, you know, just keep this listener happy. You know what? I've got right in front of me a uh, vampire miniature and a werewolf miniature for a Nexus Crawler and Tarek the Silent. So I will paint those up just for that listener. (laughs) So we have some World of Darkness stuff up there. But so yeah, but Mike, you you play the Battletech roleplay game as well. So the miniatures for you kind of a dual purpose. Uh, well, I actually just picked up the roleplaying game. Like, okay. Well, I mean, you... I had the PDF for a while, but I just picked up a book like three weeks ago or something. I'm kind of digging into that. So yeah, yeah uh, that's actually kind of an interesting game because the roleplaying game is just an extension of the Battletech board game. Mm-hmm. So instead of having your pilot with two stats as is typical in the uh, the board game. Now you have a full character sheet for your for your dude. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yep. And like for me all the the war machine stuff is all really I mean the the reason I've got such a I would say compared to some other people who play war machine hordes a quite a diverse collection is simply because I bought what was re- really required to run um the Witchfire trilogy. So that's why I have a let's say that's why I have Gator men and uh, you know a few other things, so yeah, that kind of works out quite well. And you know, the same thing with the, the fading suns um, spaceships, they'll come in handy. Uh, and I mean, uh, check with um, your Malifaux miniatures, obviously, they are doing at some point, or Kickstarter has been and gone, I can't quite remember, for the Malifaux roleplay game. 
It has been and gone, and unfortunately, I missed it. But yeah. they should have the books available at Gen Con, so I'm probably going to pick up at least the first book there. So there again, you've got a reason to have and, and to I'll totally have stuff. I'll have dozens and dozens of minis ready to go. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of useful. I mean, I mean, I'm not really one for using minis all the time in a role play game because there's a point where they become a distraction to the story. Absolutely. So it's not like, you know, I'm not one for dungeon crawling with miniatures, but doing set pieces like your characters finally get to say some uh, amb- ambush place where they, they lay their trap and you just put everything out so the players have a better idea of what they're doing rather than it being all very abstract in their head. Um, and, you know, this is why I'm excited. You know, I mean, it's, there's still more delays on it, but we've seen now more of the finished stuff for Kingdom Death, and that, I think, is going to be really great for Exalted because you look at all the characters and the types of uh, pieces of armor and equipment, and, again, it's, um, you know, sometimes these things are useful just to prod our inspiration for role-play games. Sure, you can mine anything mm-hmm. for... Um... Sort of looking for inspiration for your game. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, what we, what's been going on with uh, Onyx Path then, news-wise? I guess we should have a look at that. We should move on over to the news segment. So, Onyx Path used to just be one man, but now it's three people. Uh, new to the Onyx Path, of course, is Lisa and Mike, so uh, you know we're definitely very excited to see uh, Rich Thomas expanding his entire operation, and it should be really cool to uh, have these other two people on board. So, uh, yeah, welcome, uh, Lisa and Mike. Welcome aboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good to see more people yeah. um, involved in it. I mean... What are their roles exactly? I can't quite remember. Is one of them involved with, say, layout type uh, stuff? Yeah, Mike Cheney is uh, layout and artwork, and then Lisa yeah. is, uh, I don't remember her last name, but she is involved with accounting and making sure all the money is good. Okay, good. Cool. Yep, yep, definitely. And Rich Thomas is still kind of, you know, leader and uh, creative director. So it's, it's Lisa Thomas, by the way. Thanks, Jake. Thanks. I'm here for you. Thanks, man. Anyway, uh, in addition to that, we, of course, have some new uh, Onyx Path books coming out. So, first up is, of course, Rites of Blood for Vampire 20th Anniversary Edition. Uh, This is a uh, thaumaturgy book, uh, which, actually, the uh, text and rituals released last summer, I believe. I recall looking through them and uh, just kind of, like, checking them out for uh, my own uh, Tremere Chronicle, which, uh, you know, only had one session, unfortunately. But definitely there's pretty cool stuff in there. There's not only things for, you know, basic Tremere Thaumaturgy, but also the Tal Mahera, you know, the True Black Hand. Uh, and also even the Inkanu have some rituals in there. So it's all pretty neat. Uh, there's no path magic, uh, which I thought was a very interesting uh, design decision on the part of Eddie Webb when he was uh, going into this book. Uh, but I think overall, yeah, it's definitely a pretty strong one. And there's a lot of, you know, it's not just a uh, a catalog of spells and that sort of thing. There's definitely a lot of... Uh, very interesting discussion about how these different factions and clans uh, accept 
their versions of thaumaturgy and how they're used. So definitely some cool stuff. And additionally, uh, one of the authors is Reese Sosby, who's a pretty cool gal who works on uh, Guild Wars 2. So yeah, nice to see her back working on World of Darkness stuff. Yeah, and uh, after that we have Flowers of Hell, which is the uh, Demon the Descent player's guide. Yep. Yeah, it's the player's guide. Mm-hmm. All right, good. <laughs> and uh, I have yet to check that out, but it's definitely cool to see more options for Demon the Descent. Uh, it's definitely a very uh, a game that requires a lot of upfront work for uh, for players uh, when they're doing char- character creation. So having more options and more insight into that. Uh, can only help the game. So definitely uh, good stuff there. Uh, what else do we got? We have Songs of the Sun and Moon Anthology for Werewolf 20th. Uh, this is a Changing Breeds anthology. Uh, so definitely uh, cool for uh, those backers uh, of that source book. Um, I didn't back it, so I don't have a copy right now. So I did. Oh, sweet. All right, Chig. Uh, Since you've obviously Mm -hmm. read all of it... uh, Oh, oh, no. Um, I've read the table of contents, and it looks neat. (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) That's definitely good. Uh, Any any authors that, uh, you know, popped popped out? Nothing nothing that really really stood out and stayed in my memory, apparently. Oh, okay. uh, It's on my to-read list. It's one of the many, many foothills of to-read mountain. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, the uh, Werewolf 20th anthology that came out previously um when we rage 2 i think i only read the first two stories of that one which were okay so yeah i completely understand your situation chig but additionally we have another source book that came out which is mortal remains for hunter the vigil uh this is definitely a very interesting one because it is a uh look at it's basically an enemy book for all the uh, different supernatural types that were not covered in previous Hunter the Vigil titles. So that means that Prometheans are in there, uh, Changelings from Changeling the Lost, uh, Demons, Mummies, and uh, Geists as well. Or, well, mm-hmm. Sin Eaters, I should say. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a pretty strong one, and reviews have been very good so far. So, uh, yeah, definitely cool to see that. Yeah, I'll definitely be picking that one up. Uh, sometime soon because it's. I think it should be. It should be kind of useful in general because of, with regard to mummy and various awards, it might give some more insight into uh, that game. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's just about it for new Onyx Path titles. Uh, obviously, uh, the Onyx Path website and blog has a lot of uh, new content all the time, uh, so it's a little hard for us to keep track of all of it. But uh, definitely one of the big things that just started coming out is uh, some of Dave Brookshaw's uh, new insight into the Fallen World Chronicle. So that's definitely going to be a very interesting uh, new Chronicle book for Mage the Awakening using the updated uh, God Machine Chronicles rule set. So uh, really cool to see that. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes so you can dig into it yourself and uh, see what you think. Yeah, they've they've really pumped out a lot on the blog because, I mean, we've recently had... Along with that, we've had uh, Stu Wilson and Idigan Chronicles uh, and his blog posts on that. We've also been having the Vampire the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary uh, posts that look at, I think they've looked most recently at the Libon and so how to really incorporate um, vampires from the... uh, 
from the Dark Kingdom of Africa, essentially. So um, yeah, that's kind of a an interesting thing to note with that is that it's actually this is now like a third look at uh, Libon. So there's the original uh, Vampire of the Dark Ages uh, right up for them. And then they had the Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom source book, which came out in like 2004, right before the end of the World of Darkness. And uh, that had Libon broken up into many different legacies, which are equivalent to either bloodlines or, or really clans. And now this is actually a third look, which brings them back to being a, a unified bloodline, but takes a different approach from the, uh, from the previous source material. So yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing to check out as well. Um, and you know what? We'll just link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Good plan. <laughs> and uh, I think, is that it for the news? Obviously, we have a contest, which we'll be talking about at the end of the show. But uh, for Darker Days, I think we've covered everything for ourselves, really. As, we, as, I, well, as we're recording this, I'll mostly tonight <laughs> start uh, editing uh, our new spin-off uh, Darkling series with Michelle and Sam. So we recorded the first part of that. Um, yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, I'm hoping people will enjoy it because we have, I think, quite a lot of content to uh, to cover. Absolutely. So, yeah, the moment that's there, people will know it's there because it'll turn up on the uh, it'll turn up on the feed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, good. So with that, I think it's time to move on over to the classic World of Darkness segment. Classic. World of Darkness. Alright, Chig and Chris, this is the last episode of Season 5. And I think you all know what that means. It means we need to talk about Wraith a little bit. So, Wraith is a pretty complex game. Uh, at the end of last season, we actually talked about the geography of the Shadowlands, which was uh, you know pretty tough. And actually, I was reading over some Wraith books uh, this past weekend, and... Yeah, I uh, kind of figured I didn't have a very good handle on uh, geography of, of the Wraith setting anymore. Um, definitely need to uh, go back and, and check out that episode again. But let's talk, about, let's talk about factions. Let's talk about the politics of Wraith. Because unlike other World of Darkness role-playing games, there's a lot more moving parts in Wraith than a lot of other games. Because it's really not just a, a shadowy conspiracy underlayer to the world. This is now the world itself. It's the world of of Stygia and the Shadowlands and that whole other realm that exists. So, Chig, you've uh, looked over this a little bit. We have, of course, the hierarchy, which is the uh, core government, really, of, of Stygia and uh, the Dark Kingdom of Iron. You also have the uh, Renegades, who are basically the, the punk elements of the setting, which uh, act in frequently in rebellion to the hierarchy. Uh, you have the heretics, which are more religious cults. You have the Ferrymen, which are the sort of neutral party that handles a lot of the uh, you know, guidance through the Tempest and uh, Shadowlands for safety and transportation. Um, and then you finally have the Guilds, which are really the masters of the uh, powers of Wraith, the Arkanoi, and they uh, cover not only some you know, institutional knowledge, but also uh, politics as well. Uh, so, so Chig, where do you want to start? Do you think we should start with the hierarchy? We should probably start with the uh, hierarchy. That's sort of the the default group in the setting. So, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I don't know about default group. I think actually, uh, this is actually an important thing 
a point to bring up before we jump right into this. Wraith is a very splatless game. Um, you don't have to choose a clan or a tribe at character creation. You just create your Wraith. And there's a good chance that they might be part of the hierarchy. But if they're recently passed away and entered the uh, Shadowlands, they're not actually going to have a faction that they're a part of yet. So there's a good chance they'll just be this sort of rogue element that might be picked up by, say, the hierarchy or passing renegades uh, or something else just as they're uh, brought into the world. But there's also equal chance that they will uh, be faced with a choice very early on about who they're going to support, which they may accept or they may really regret in the future. But yeah, let's start with the hierarchy. So the hierarchy is a... Uh, a really monolithic, or from the exterior, it seems like a monolithic organization. It's the uh, the core government of the Republic of Stygia and the Dark Kingdom of Iron, which is the core Western setting uh, and society of Wraith the Oblivion. Stygia, of course, is its capital, uh, and the hierarchy is basically made up of two elements. Um, you have sort of a, uh, a bureaucracy that exists in, in much of the higher levels, but most of the people... Uh, in the hierarchy are part of the legions, which are uh, eight different feudal militaristic groupings of wraiths, which uh, the vast majority of, of, of wraiths are a part of. Uh, and what these do is they actually cover harvesting of souls. That's really their, their main purpose. And each of these legions has a different particular death or, or classification of death uh, that they're able to reap. Uh, so specifically, uh, the, the skeletal legion and the, uh, the skeletal lord are, uh, able to reap those that have died of old age. And the skeletal the, uh, legion is disease, actually. Shit. Ash legion? I, is ash legion I, the, uh, death one? Iron legion is age. <laughs> no, no, no. Iron legion is violence, sir. I'll double check, but uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, the Iron Legion, ruled by the Ashen Lady from the Seat of Shadows and consisting of the victims of old age. We have Despair, Mystery, Happenstance. Violence what? is the Grim Legion. <clears throat> oh, okay. And that's with Iron... the Smiling Lord. Yes. Iron Damn. is old age. Uh, penitent is madness. Skeletal is pestilence. And the Legion of Fate, Legions of Fate, uh, da, 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 ruled by the Ladies of Fate from the Seat of Fate, and consisting of those whom Fate has marked for its own. Ooh. That's good. Uh, this is going to sound great in the uh, finished product. I don't know how I'm going to edit all that. Uh, <clears throat> so clearly Chig knows what he's talking about here. And uh, I actually have the book open in front of me, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm, just I'm kinda, cheating. kind of doing this from memory. <laughs> Okay, so you've got legions, and uh, they are the ones that uh, Chig just mentioned. Uh, so yeah, uh, and yes, so they, they reap these different um, souls that come into the uh, into the underworld, and because of this, they, they get power basically, um, because souls of the dead um, can be soul forged into different materials, and also they can simply be enslaved as thralls um, and used for labor and uh, whatever else, whatever else is necessary. So, yes, the hierarchy sort of works on this economy of souls, uh, and the different legions typically have their, their main purview, but of course, 
because these souls coming in are power, currency, and and uh, labor and efficiency for their economy, uh, they all sort of try to uh, steal them from each other as they're coming in. Uh, so that's basically how things work. Um, the hierarchy, as I mentioned, has different legions, and uh, these legions are all, as Chig alluded to, uh, governed by a death lord. Uh, the death lord is originally the death lord was actually this sort of senator in the hierarchy uh as as the hierarchy was originally based off of the roman republic uh but as time went on oh. it became obvious that they uh needed to have uh more decentralized forms of power as the uh hierarchy in stygia expanded its, its sphere of influence into the uh, shadowlands proper setting up different acropoli so at that point, uh, they became more like uh, dukes underneath uh, Charon, the ruler of Stygia. And below them were different uh, Anacreons who ruled various necropoli, which are cities of the dead and fortifications uh, within the Shadowlands. So yes, this uh, sort of decentralized power base uh, eventually sprang up. Uh, legions obviously became more militant. Uh, they began contesting with each other, and in the modern nights, with uh, Charon vanished from the Shadowlands, um, it seems like civil war and outright combat is, uh, you know, very close to uh, occurring within Stygia. So while while this entire hierarchy organization seems very monolithic, in fact, it's uh, very fractious and uh, seems as though it's going to start breaking up very soon. Just to quickly go over, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the hierarchy is very, very much based off of uh, the Roman Republic, uh, such that the different ranks within it are mostly uh, picked out from, uh, you know, Roman government and, and military ranks. So you have legionnaires, centurions. Um, legionnaires are kind of like the really the bottom rung within the uh, hierarchy. They're basically just, you know, the, the membership card, that sort of thing. Uh, centurions themselves lead different patrols, as they're called. Um, it's kind of the name for their circles of wraiths. And they um, move about enforcing the laws and uh, of the hierarchy itself. And also, you know, grabbing souls uh, that they find along the way. Um, then you, of course, have marshals who control small haunts and outposts. Uh, regents are similar, but just a higher rank. And then you have the overlords and Anacreons who uh, rule from the citadels. Uh, the interesting thing, which kind of differentiates uh, Wraith the Oblivion from, say, Vampire the Masquerade, um, is that there is no real prince of the city. You might have an Anacreon who is most powerful, but since each legion has its own Anacreon uh, within the citadel or the couple of citadels in the city, uh, each of those form a sort of council, which is supposed to uh govern the hierarchy and apply its rules and laws uh, in the region. Um, so because of that, you have, you know, a lot of options for politics and not just one, you know, main ruler kind of to make decisions like the Prince of a City. So uh, I think that's just about it. Um, the hierarchy obviously has, you know, very different... Um, uh, applications of its laws in different regions because it's become so decentralized. So, you know, there's a good chance that you might be in a very liberal city at one point, then hop on the Midnight Express and end up in someplace else which is far more conservative or far more dangerous in a lot of ways. 
So, uh, Jake, what do you think about the hierarchy? You know, you come from this, uh, from, you know, as, as a fan of, say, Changeling, uh, I'm coming at it from more of a, a Vampire the Masquerade standpoint. So what do you think about this compared to, say, uh, the Changeling court system? And... Um, I, I do like the hierarchy. It provides for a less rigid structure of gameplay, um, although it's basically ever-present if you're going to play a Wraith game because they control all of the uh, important places that you might want to go. So, I, I, yeah, I, I enjoy them. It's, a, it's definitely a different style of gameplay. Like you said, there's no one way that they do things between their uh, various strongholds. So, yeah, it's, it, it allows for a lot of uh, individual storyteller decision-making. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Chig, you have Wraith 2nd Edition, and I was actually I do. researching through Wraith 1st Edition preparing for this. So one of the things I noticed was actually very interesting is that it almost seems like the hierarchy are the good guys in Wraith 1st Edition, which is really strange because they're obviously a really horrible organization. You know, institutionalized slavery, um, there's soul forging and all this you know, backstabbing politics, and yet the way that it's written, because, you know, the book mostly covers the history of the hierarchy, as mm-hmm. opposed to being written from the history of the renegades or something like that. Because of that, it almost makes them seem as though they're the, uh, you know, the good, stable organization that's really trying to hold everything together, rather than well, looking at I how think, they're very evil. I think that's, uh, again, uh, first edition games had that issue where... Uh, Law and good were considered the same thing, and chaos and evil were considered on the same page. Hmm. Um, if, as you go through second and then revised editions of the games, uh, you'll see that the uh, Sabbat, for instance, from Vampire, went from being crazy, mindless, uh, almost Viking-type group who came in and raided and killed everybody and then ran off into the God only knows where, into being a... Uh, their own faction with uh, rules and rituals and human intelligence, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, second edition, though, does uh, does you know make the point that the hierarchy is the um, most lawful and hidebound group, and does give the average wraith the best chance to survive against uh, the various uh, specters and maelstroms and other crazy monsters that are in the uh, Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. However, you did forget one of my favorite parts of the uh, hierarchy. Since, at, since you mentioned uh, slaves and horrible, horrible treatments, yep. the, uh, the Barghests. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an, an incredibly uh, horrible but awesome idea where they take a, uh, a wraith who, whatever, they don't like them or they've broken too many laws or just hey we need one of these grab that guy and um they turn them into dogs basically uh they reconfigure their bodies into horrible half man half dog beasts they lobotomize them and uh they are uh slaves from then on whose only job is to hunt down and uh catch the uh shadow guys yeah, the specters and all that. Specters, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, they're also <laughs> used to hunt down like rogue wraiths and that sort of thing. So yeah, sure, they're, renegades. They're and, 
Yeah, they're they're super super dark and disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And those and are the good guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about Wraith is that because there's no other say animals, there's no you, you can't really construct things from uh from the earth itself. Uh because of that, they have to make a lot of very interesting and peculiar uh I'm not sure really the word to use for this, but uh, l- let me give you some examples. So, for example, Stygia is uh, it's in the Tempest itself, uh, amongst the uh, it's on the Isle of Sorrows. It's called uh, between uh, the the sea and the far shores. So, uh, because there's no like building materials, let's say, uh, Charon actually had to go to different locations around the world, like the Library of Alexandria and get stone, like, let's almost say relic stone from those locations to bring back and use to build his city uh, in the Tempest. Uh, so that's one of the very peculiar things. You can't just, say, find some wood or something to, uh, to build a house. You actually have to go somewhere else or just reside in a Shadowland structure, which is a shadow of something that remains in the real world. And then likewise, yeah, they have to uh, use these strange uh, constructions from other wraiths to to make say bargas or to soul forge uh, another wraith into a sword uh because they need a weapon or something yeah it's it's a very interesting game uh because of that and the different really physics that are involved in the shadowlands so uh that's pretty good chris do you have any comments about the hierarchy uh as you've been listening right here but you were saying about i think the cool thing uh that you ended on the idea that uh, you that Chiron and, and others, you it's just as the same as with I think as in as in Geist, as in uh Exalted as well. You know, if you if you want to fashion something, whether it's a building or an item, either you're going to render down some ghosts into you know, into the very material to make the things, or you're gonna go find uh you know the, the reflections of things that have possibly, you know, that have been destroyed. So I think there's a lot of, um, even in that, there's a lot of storytelling potential for lost mysteries. Like what if uh, somewhere on a stone block in, uh, in the citadel uh, on the very island in, you know, Caron's citadel, there is an inscription of some lost ancient magic and you know it only survives because in the real world it is gone. So there's a lot of storytelling mm. potential there, both both for Wraith and for other classic World of Darkness games, where you know you 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 do the typical Orpheus thing of you have to go into the underworld to recover something. So that's kind of cool. And you know the 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 people that make up the hierarchy are then are wonderful antagonists to uh, come up against uh, in your little Orphic journey. Uh, journey. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Great point. So let's quickly talk about the Renegades. Uh, these are really the uh, the kind of punk faction of Wraith the Oblivion, uh, which is very nice to see since it's such an overwhelmingly gothic and, and dark setting overall. They're considered a faction, but they're really a very loose loose definition of faction. Um, there's a lot of different circles of Wraiths, uh, ideologies, and really individuals as well. Uh, within the Renegades, so it's very hard to pin down, you know, an exact, exact uh, political stance for them, because um, there's just so many and so many different ideas. But uh, Wraith First Edition makes them seem like they're almost 
19th century anarchists and that um, they're mostly there to sabotage the hierarchy itself and uh, to uh, sow dissent in many ways. Um, but luckily that actually changes in, in later Wraith books. Uh, there is a source book called The Renegades, uh, which is very good at you know, discussing uh, renegades themselves, pointing out different factions, very uh, common ones, uh, and also brings in a lot more gameplay options for them. So in the Renegades, there's actually uh, four basic classifications that it gives us. You, of course, have the protesters. Uh, they're the ones that directly fight against the hierarchy. You know, some of those 19th century anarchists um, sabotaging, stealing, and generally just being a pain for the local legions. Um, but there's also the idealists, which make perfect sense. They're essentially renegades, but they want to mostly just improve the hierarchy. Uh, they want to fix things that they see as broken, um, liberalize it in many ways, and ensure that it's just a better organization for both the security of wraiths, but also to prevent... Um, the organization itself of, from crumbling, which is what they feel is currently happening. Uh, there's also just outlaws, which are the ones that, you know, perform illegal trade, uh, work with, say, the guilds, or go about skin riding in the uh, the skin lands and uh, doing other things which are against the, uh, the core tenets of the hierarchy. Um, so they're the more unlawful ones uh, who really just couldn't get along in the hierarchy itself. And then there's uh, the others, which are simply called the dropouts. Um, they choose really to ignore Stygian society because for whatever reason, they don't like it or they don't fit in. Um, they tend to make their own small circles and communities to try to survive because uh, outside of, say, Necropoli, it's very, very dangerous. There's uh, specters roaming about. There's other uh, underworld monsters uh, which could attack wraiths. So if they are going to set out and make their own little, say, almost farm community out on the side, uh, they need to be very careful and, and work together as much as possible. The other kind of cool thing that's in that source book is the idea of the Renegade Lord, which is a former Death Lord, apparently. We don't really, we don't really know if he exists or not, um, but rumor has it that he was a, uh, a former uh, Beggar Lord, um, who saw all the issues with the hierarchy itself and threw off his mask, took up another one, and uh, became a leader amongst the renegades. Um, it's just kind of a neat idea that they have their own sort of death lord in some ways, but no one really recognizes him, uh, which kind of just makes for some interesting uh, role-playing options uh, when a faction supporting him turns up. Uh, did anything jump out for you, Chig, regarding the renegades? Yeah, why are they not working toward transcendence? Why, if if, if you don't want to play the uh, the game of uh, the hierarchy, it seems like the best thing to do is to get out of here. That's a great point, Chig. Um, you know, it's interesting that originally the hierarchy formed as, and really the city of Stygia, as a a place for wraiths to go and to be supported in their their path towards transcendence. But really, in a lot of ways, Transcendence's knowledge of it or the expectations of it have fallen to the wayside, become unknown. Um, and as such, maybe these renegades don't even know about it. One of the interesting things about Wraith is that the entire Shadowlands, the hierarchy, all these different factions, the Spectres, Oblivion, 
all of that exists to distract you from actually transcending. So as such, these, these are individuals that have been distracted by this, this politics uh, and taken away from the path towards transcendence. Right, but, okay, so everybody has seen Ghost, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe if you, if you starved to death in Africa when you were four, you missed that movie. But uh, generally, if you're you know, from the modern day in the United States or Western Europe, you're familiar with the uh, Patrick Swayze classic, Ghost. So if you wind up as a ghost, you might think, hey, maybe I should work on resolving this stuff and not get uh, bogged down in these petty, petty politics with these people who have been dead for centuries and are clearly not going anywhere or changing their mind anytime in the next few centuries. So I don't know. It just seems to me like one of the renegade things to do if you want to label yourself as an anarch renegade would be to say, hey, let's start helping other people transcend. You know, and there probably are factions like that, Shig, in, in the, uh, the book. But... Or, would that, or maybe that would be what the heretics are. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the heretics. They are another very loose organization. Um, I'd say that the original sect or... They, they originally came from the Shining Ones, which were actually a group of ferrymen who traveled across the uh, Sea of Shadows and found the Far Shores, which are the uh, different heavens and hells of the, uh, the Wraith setting, or, or these islands that are very similar to them. Um, and these Shining Ones originally worked very closely with Stygia and came up with a, uh, a sort of a program where wraiths could go there uh, based on their different beliefs, go to the far shores, to the appropriate one, and be guided towards transcendence. And as it happens, uh, you know, there's a lot of travel back and forth. Where things start to get uh, pretty politically questionable is with the, uh, the introduction of the Fishers, which are actually a, a very early Christian cult that began to form in Stygia in the Shadowlands. And these... Fishers eventually claimed to have found this uh, this different far shore, which no one else had been to, called Paradise. And through their uh, various political tracts and and uh, and rants throughout the streets, uh, got a lot of followers and brought them to Paradise. The problem was no one ever actually came back. Um, so this caused a lot of uh, strife between this particular cult of of heretics and. Stygia itself, because there were all these souls, which are power and currency, that were vanishing uh, from their city. Uh, this, of course, uh, caused a lot of uh, a lot of tension, and eventually, um, the fishers themselves were banned from from Stygia and most of these other heretical religious cults that have formed amongst the uh, the un- the wraiths and, and ghosts have uh, likewise been looked at with either disdain or just outright hostility from the rest of the hierarchy. Again, they're nominally there for transcendence. That's, that's kind of what the heretics are striving to achieve, but um, there's a lot of corruption. Uh, the Shining Ones themselves that still inhabit the far shores are apparently have, have fallen off the path themselves, um, and many of them have created these almost slave states over there. Um, 
which are no longer helping wraiths uh, towards transcendence. They're just, you know, collecting souls and power. And mm -hmm. uh, so, as such, um, that's pretty much what's going on with the heretics. Uh, unfortunately, they never actually had a source book uh, like the hierarchy or the renegades. Um, they were covered a bit in at least a few small factions are discussed in Necropolis Atlanta. So if you're looking for any story ideas for them, that might be a good place to check. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I got for them. Um, well, there are three uh, little groups mentioned in the uh, core book as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are equally wacky and insane. Um, there's the host who uh, believe that they are guardian angels. And so they have to go back to um, the Skinlands, all Della Reese style and uh okay save people from making horrible mistakes which of course only ties them stronger into the uh, setting and kind of prevents them from transcending because now they're making new ties uh there's the the children of the green who are uh wraith hippies they are uh neo-pagans and uh think that uh, they will be able to transcend and move along to the uh, along the wheel of life um, if they can just introduce peace and freedom to everybody which given the setting is a uh, a noble but almost assuredly unobtainable goal and uh, the riders of the wheel who uh, devote themselves to worshiping fate and fortune and uh, they now have a uh, a casino as their as their uh, house of worship, because gambling is the sincerest form of worship to the gods of chance. All right, that's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. Yeah, it's it's a different view. <laughs> yeah, definitely good. Awesome. And just to uh, finish things off, because we have a lot to cover this show, uh, let's talk about the ferrymen real quick. So the ferrymen are pretty much super badasses. Uh, they are hermits. They are really individualistic wraiths that wander throughout the Shadowlands and the Tempest. Uh, they're guides that will take you where you need to go, but they'll do it for a price. You know, maybe it's a small relic you'll have to give them, maybe offer uh, offer to assist them in the future, but there is always a price when working with them. But they have a very uh, strict uh, code of honor. Um, they're very neutral compared to uh, the rest of these factions that are, are warring. Uh, and uh, beyond their actual role as, as guides and battling inspectors, they actually still remember to assist other wraiths in transcendence. Um, they themselves have chosen to not transcend, um, and through a ritual they are not really immune, but resistant to catharsis, so they're able to last much longer in the Shadowlands. Uh, and because they've made this choice uh, to remain there, they still assist other wraiths in their um, their sort of spiritual journey towards transcending and, and moving on to whatever lies beyond. So that's pretty much the ferryman. Um, they kind of got a book in Ends of Empire, like a small third of the book, uh, discussing them, but uh, unfortunately I have not read that one yet, so I can't really lend any insight, any further insight, I should say, into the ferrymen themselves. Yeah, they were set up by 
Charon as well as the hierarchy. Yes. Uh, so they were set up first, and then I guess Charon decided that was not a great idea? Uh, sort of. There was a lot of tension between... Uh, the, the Ferrymen were created before Stygia was created, mm-hmm. and they didn't like this whole idea of making this one centralized city and centralized power uh, for the entire Dark Kingdom. So they essentially, eventually decided that they were going to uh, stay away from Stygia and remain a sort of neutral party from its politics, and which only lends to their overall badass demeanor. But they have their own city, right? Dis? Uh, I, they might. I don't know if that's in first edition, dude. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, but... the ferrymen are pretty awesome, and really, to give them justice, uh, it might be good to... Once I've read all the Wraith books, which will take another couple of years, uh, really just do a full segment on them because they're pretty neat. Uh, and likewise, there's also the guilds, uh, which are very expansive. Um, Chig actually told me that there's, th- before the show, told me that there's three that I just didn't even know about. So there's quite a few. Uh, I think I think that puts them up to 11 or so. 16. 16, okay. See? Just missing them all over the place. Um, yeah, there's quite a few of these guilds, which are essentially the um, organized uh, groups that are masters of different Arkanoi, which are the powers of Wraith. Um, they, for quite some time, worked very well within Stygia and uh, the entire Dark Kingdom. Um, but eventually, because they were being uh, oppressed, essentially, by the, the legions of, of Stygia, uh, they rebelled. And that rebellion failed, so they were essentially outlawed. Um, the wraiths themselves, other than the uh, most heinous um, of the uh, rebels, were not put to death. They were, you know, given amnesty and allowed to re-enter uh, Stygia, which kind of led to these different sort of shadow, quasi-legal versions of the guild, which still exist. Um, the guilds themselves are are very important for. Uh, both the setting and the society itself, uh, because they can help wraiths achieve different things. Uh, for example, there's the partners who can uh, help decrease the uh, angst of other wraiths, which actually has you know mechanical benefits of uh, suppressing their shadow. Um, so that's really important. And in fact, that guild itself is it's one of those things where you know it's it's illegal, but everyone's like, oh, that's a partner, and they just kind of you know give them a wink. They know what's up. But uh, because they're so necessary, they they still essentially exist. After the guilds were disbanded, the legions themselves of of the Wraith universe were supposed to um, begin instructing Arkanoids and become the masters of that uh, in the future. Uh, However, it didn't really work out. Um, That's why the guilds are still somewhat necessary. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, if, if the army you know, got rid of all of the engineers and then said, oh, we're going to teach everyone engineering now, that sort of thing. Well, then you only know engineering for military applications, um, which really means that there's a lot of institutional knowledge, which is then lost, which, you know, is definitely not good, Uh, which is why the guild books for Wraith are kind of interesting because they have a lot of different powers included in them. So that's pretty much what I have to say about guilds. Chig, what have you got for me? When I first picked up Wraith. I thought that the guilds were going to be the splats, and they kind of are, just like in any other game. 
But uh, having read through more of the books and gone through the setting a bit more, it's only very vaguely uh, similar to the other guild or the other game lines. Uh, like you said, Wraith has a ton of splats, but it is also at the same time a very splatless book. Mm. You can be a guild member, but it is it's not required. It's not even presupposed that everybody will be a member of a certain guild or another guild or this out of the other guild. Uh, like you said, it's not like in uh, Vampire, everybody's a member of a clan. And yeah, that, especially for the old World of Darkness, might take some getting used to and wrapping your head around. It's very different from basically every other old World of Darkness game. Yeah, definitely. It was a very peculiar business decision to make guild books as opposed to, say, Legion books. Um, well, the Legions did get a book, didn't they? Got, they? Yeah, they got one book, but the guilds yeah. got six books or something like that. Well, there's 13 different uh, guilds and only, what, eight Legions, did we say? Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so, and, like yep. you said, the uh, the Legions basically know the powers and abilities that are in the core book. They don't have all that other knowledge and lore that you can find in the Arkanoi that the guilds had, yep. which is in the guild books. And so it makes sense that, yeah, if you're playing a Legionnaire, here are, here's what the Legions do. Here's the Legion book. They're all organized basically along these particular lines. And th this Legion does this and that Legion does that. And the other Legion does the other. And that can all be contained within one book. The guilds are just crazy, wacky, cuckoo. They can they have their own traditions, their own sub-factions, their own everything. So it makes sense that they would each get their own book. All right, I see what your argument is, is that they're a more optional part, so they have the optional books. Right. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. It's, of course, way different than, say, clan books from Vampire the Masquerade or Absolutely. tribe books from Werewolf. But <laughs> yes. again, that's part of the, uh, you know, taking uh, you know getting used to it with uh with wraith yep so that's pretty much all i have to say about the different factions um there are of course other sub factions that exist and uh, a couple minor groups that pop up in uh other other places and of course there's other dark kingdoms like the dark kingdoms of jade uh ivory obsidian clay and ivory, aside from sand. um aside from Sand that was, I believe, uh, the mummy dark kingdom. Yes. And Jade, which is, of course, the uh, kindred of the East dark kingdom. Did nope. any of these other... No? Uh, nope, not really. I mean, dark kingdom of Jade is just specifically a, a wraith structure. Um, hmm. I don't believe the kindred of the East, the Kuei Jin, really interact with it too much. Because uh, they specifically go to the Thousand Hells. That's right. So um, there, there's definitely some crossover and interaction, but uh, not too, too much. Well, my question was going to be, do any of these other alternative kingdoms get a book or get a write-up or get future information? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, this is, again, something that should be kind of covered in the future, maybe a different segment. But uh, just kind of real quick, yes, uh, Dark Kingdoms had... Uh, or for the different Dark Kingdoms. There was Dark Kingdoms of Jade and Dark Kingdoms of Jade Adventures. So they really got two books right there, which is kind of neat. Um, I would assume World of Darkness Tokyo, because it's 
sort of a wraith book uh also has some discussion of the dark dark kingdom of jade um or at least kind of the weird crossover mess that's going on there uh additionally uh necropolis atlanta has some information about the uh dark kingdom of ivory which is the african kingdom um because of the uh slave trade that was going on for so long uh the Dark Kingdom of Ivory actually set up shop with a couple wraiths uh, in the city of Atlanta and the surrounding area to try to pick up souls um, of those that died there, of, of say, slaves and that. Uh, additionally, yeah, the other others were kind of covered in a few different places, like the uh, Wraith Player's Guide. Um, one thing yeah. I will say about the Dark Kingdom of Obsidian is that I think there is a missed opportunity with them. Uh, as it stands in canon, what happens is, you know, the Western wraiths come in from Europe. And, and what, for, for our listeners, yep. what is, what are the Dark Kingdom or what is the Dark Kingdom of Obsidian? Sure. The Dark Kingdom of Obsidian is a failed kingdom that used to inhabit North America and South America. Um, and of course, what happened in World of Darkness tradition is that the uh, Western wraiths came over and they displaced or killed the uh, natives to North America. Um, I think this is actually kind of a missed opportunity, because what could have been really interesting for the setting is that if, based on what was happening in the real world, in the mortal world, um, with the Trail of Tears and the different wars that were going on in the uh, uh, what would become the uh, Midwest and Western United States, um, due to all of the death that was happening for the Native Americans, that would have created a fairly large and fairly fast influx of native wraiths into the Shadowlands, which would have actually bolstered uh, the Dark Kingdom of Obsidian. Mm -hmm. So it could have been very interesting if, even by the time of the Modern Knights, uh, they actually still existed and maybe clearly contested North America. Um, could have just, you know, added some more interesting uh, interaction between uh, different societies and uh, brought in just kind of a new cool aspect to uh, to rate the oblivion. Well, I believe that the uh, North American Dark Kingdom is uh, mentioned in Mediums, which is one of the the books of Wraith that I have read. <laughs> yes, uh, I think they are. I I have not checked that one out yet, but um, yes, the but on, only in passing. I don't Dark... think that they got much information on. Yeah, them. yeah, the Dark Kingdom of Obsidian still sort of exists in a few small areas uh displaced into the tempest on some islands uh in like the sea of shadows and then also some of the south american uh wraith society still exists or at least that portion of it so yeah they they're kind of still there but uh i think that's pretty much all i have to say overall about the different dark kingdoms um chris chris you got any comments Anything? Come on. Um, still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> on what exactly? <laughs> uh, I don't know, just like uh, Wraith in general, different factions. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at Wraith just on the surface, you have these three main factions. You have the Hierarchy, the Renegades, and you have the Heretics. And then you also look at Vampire the Masquerade, and you're like, we have the Camarilla, the Anarchs, and the Sabbat. You know, you've got stasis you've got the rebellion you've got that kind of pseudo-religious organization and yet wraith really does it very very differently they have a mm. different political setup with the uh archaeons these different uh necropoli and citadels 
the renegades themselves are very fractious, but it's not because they all specifically despise this this monolithic organization that they were once part of. Uh, some of them are just outlaws or really just want to do their own thing overall. And then the heretics are obviously extremely different compared to the Sabbat, since they're such a, a various and fractious organization, or not really organization, political block, you could almost say. Uh, so overall, yeah, they're definitely definitely something different. And I don't know, Chris, maybe from your your New World of Darkness standpoint, what do you think about these different factions? Um, I would say there's a lot more there's a lot more room within Wraith, or at least it's it, the way they've been presented, I guess, to to enable kind of a more diverse presentations of these groups um, based upon, you know, which continent uh, your game is based in, what city it's based in, and obviously from what uh, cultural background you have. Whereas I think, you know, compared to Masquerade, you know, Masquerade, the Camarillo and Sabat seem rather uh, monolithic. The other thing is, as you say, with, in Wraith is that um, the guilds and uh, these factions, they seem to have less... The, your, 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 um, your Wraith that you play is not defined at the start by any of those groups. They're something that you join. Um, so there's maybe some similarity there to maybe... I mean, there's, there's elements there of what you join and how you do things maybe maybe closer to say like something like Promethean because Promethean you you are a particular uh. type of Promethean yet the but you follow a particular path and then that changes your philosophical outlook on what you're doing maybe the same with Geist I mean Geist you know you're literally making your own uh, mythologies uh, and your own philosophies on what death is and and then, you know, depending upon where you are and where you go into the lower depths and into the underworld, um, it depends upon which part of the world you're in and you find all these domains. And so they have different factions there. Um, so, yeah, I would say Wraith, in the way it's been set up, is compared to, say, a lot of the other old World of Darkness games, it's maybe a lot more freeform with, with its factions and how your character fits in with them. Yeah, it is absolutely very, very modular in a lot of ways. Because, uh, and you know, again, we were talking about the guilds a little bit, and there's a good chance that you go to a, a necropoli and none of the guilds exist there because, you know, the politics or the laws, really. So you can really just mix and match as much as necessary, which is, is very cool. Makes it a lot like one of the New World of Darkness games with its general toolbox nature. Um, yeah, pretty cool stuff. All right, good. I think that's all we have to say about Wraith, right, Chig? I think that's all we have to say about Wraith for now. For now. Perfect. And with that, let's move on over to the secret frequency. So this secret frequency, we'll be looking at a few locations around the world which have mysterious ruins that predate known civilization. Um, so we'll pick out these, we'll go over them uh, quickly and uh, look at maybe how they can fit into different games. Um, so let's go with the first one. Apparently, 
in Bosnia, there is the oldest known pyramid in the world. Now, I'm going to preface this with the fact that there's this is massively contentious on whether it's as old as it is, whether it is actually a true pyramid or not. Um, but apparently there's a pyramid in Bosnia that's 25,000 years old. Uh, you know, that means it predates Sumeria and Babylon. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things there, a lot of work done by local archaeologists to make sure, oh, it is actually a, a true pyramid. And a lot of other people obviously uh, discount these claims and think it's, uh, it's all just one big hoax. But let's disregard the fact it, it could be a hoax or, um, and consider that maybe it is actually real. The, the thing is that um, this, this you could use as an idea of that if it's if it's something that's slowly forming the pyramid, maybe maybe it, the magic or the energies that surround it mean that uh, dating of this location is incredibly hard. Maybe the site is aging backwards, and as we go further into the future, it will become a true pyramid. Um, and this harks back to um, some of the ideas uh, to the um, to the ancient. Uh, uh, historical site, which is um, which is in the sci-fi book uh, Hyperion, which again, there's this idea that the the these tombs are aging backwards, and for some for some uh, reason. So yeah, maybe this is a site that has yet to be one. Um, so, but in the real in the real world, it's pretty much discounted. Um, you can look it up. Uh, the next one is. Uh, uh, Gobekli in uh, Tepe in Turkey, and this is quite a well-renowned one because this is a um, a series of uh, uh, standing stones uh, which are quite large. They date to eleven thousand years old, and they have some of the. It, it basically is one of the oldest uh, locations of uh, of uh, human worship, um, and also potentially uh, it shows signs of humans gathering together before there was the development of agriculture, because agriculture requires quite a, uh, uh, a collective endeavour of humans. Um, so this, the dating of this makes it very old, um, and it's quite clear there's, there's some, uh, some inscriptions and, and uh, pictographs which show uh, you know, animal sacrifice and so forth. So it's quite it, it's quite interesting that it is a place of worship that predates agriculture because agriculture normally comes with the formation of larger societies. Uh, another one which is wonderful uh, is the I, maybe we've covered this on darker days before, but hey, we'll do it again. Um, the uh, Yona Guni monument, which is apparently eight thousand years old and is underwater and has these very uh, um, regular formations uh, and is considered the Japanese Atlantis which is interesting because the date of it puts it back uh, more than 8,000 years so that's before the last ice age um, it also kind of ties in with the uh, with the island of Mu which is a MU uh, and that ties in with other Atlantis-like myths in the uh, kind of uh, Pacific 
uh, island area. Um, obviously, you know, it has a lot of interest with you know, kind of the classic, you know, ideas that there was a, a pyramid building uh, society that was actually spread across the uh, across the globe. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's a site of active research. Uh, then we have the Gulf of Kambat in Israel, which is apparently 9,500 years old. Um, it's, this is a, uh, located at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, this has various rock formations uh, and other, other, um, other structures, which obviously seem to be man-made. Uh, there's a problem with the dating of artifacts from there because things have been done using dredging and so it's not considered true archaeological excavation because then you can't really make uh, proper, uh, proper, you know, uh, dates for these items. So again, another ancient site underwater, uh, given its location in the world, uh, makes it fairly interesting. And then lastly, we have the uh, Bimini Road, which is apparently 12,000 years old. And this is located off the coast of the Bahamas. Again, we have these regular stone structures. The idea is that one, camp set, one group of people says it's 12,000 to 19,000 years old. Flouting conventional understanding that advanced civilizations only emerged 5,000 years ago. Um, then uh, the other thing with it is that there's numerous uh, kind of rope holes, uh, anchor stones, and that this uh, this line of uh, stonework may have been an old uh, barrier to the uh, to the seas. Um, so yeah, there we go. Uh, a brief number of uh, different ancient sites, maybe ancient sites uh, across the world, which maybe have some significance within your game uh, especially if you're playing say uh, Mummy the Curse Mage in all its forms uh, maybe in some way related to Wraith how you make use of them is I'm sure there's a, a numerous ways you could uh, you could do stuff with them yeah. Uh, so yeah guys what do you think? well I think the one that I'm most frequently drawn back to is the uh Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it seems a little strange that, you know, they're assuming that's this place of worship simply because there's standing stones similar to, say, like Stonehenge. But that kind of brings up some uh, interesting ideas about what exactly they might have been worshipping. You know, these standing stones, these vertical stones, um, they almost seem like perches to me. Uh, so, I'm curious what exactly might have been perched on them. You know, probably something with wings, maybe a demon, possibly an angel. What about a gargoyle? Mm. What about something even older, maybe a dragon, just to go with some of the uh, submissions we got for our contest recently? Uh, maybe the Strix, maybe this is a location from where the uh, uh, the first, this is the origin of all vampires. Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. Again, the other thing is like, uh, how many of these sites are actually man-made? Uh, you could you could argue that um, that there were other humanoid creatures that existed before mankind, other failed experiments maybe of the god machine, or maybe maybe these are the leftovers from the Nephilim uh, back when they uh, walked the earth. 
uh, you could go with that kind of thing. Because the the, the the thing about these things is they are such large structures. They uh, could they really be made by man back in those times? Is always the big question. Um, I think the obviously if you, the, um, the Japanese Atlantis obviously uh, you can go with some you can basically bring up some a lot of Cthulhu kind of inspiration with that uh, again what is the purpose of this structure was it a place for uh, for uh, making uh, offerings to gods or is it a location uh, is it actually the location of Atlantis uh, where it fell um, uh, maybe uh, Maybe I mean it's eight thousand years ago. What you know? Maybe it's got something to do with Aram. Maybe not. Anything else that's interesting we can say about ancient sites? Uh, you could tie them in possibly with uh, with the fact that they could have been created by spirits back when the wall between worlds was uh, non-existent. Um, you know, before the fall and the sundering. So maybe these are all sites created by uh, things that are now cut off from our world. Um, maybe, um, for instance, uh, you could also say that, um, going back to kind of the Stonehenge thing and the, the fact they always seem to find more henges around the coast of the UK as like you have certain storms uncover uh, these ancient sites when the sand from beaches is blown away. It's interesting how many of these sites actually can be located near the ocean. Um, that maybe the one with standing stones, maybe uh, numerous uh, gentry were all killed at the same time and became these, uh, um, essentially became fossilized and formed these stones which are now a, a verge between our world and the hedge. That's or they were left too. there as a uh, warning to others, don't come back, we know how to kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the most powerful one, uh, my favorites out of the list is the, the one in Turkey and obviously the Japanese site. I think the Bosnian Pyramid one is such a, uh, it's, it's so contentious that one. I mean, yeah. 25,000 years is ridiculously old. Yeah, I always I mean, feel that's, like... That's 20,000 years older than Babylon. Just glancing at this, you know, I'm it, not a geologist, but... It looks kind of like a hill. <laughs> it looks kind of like a hill. You can have stone underneath the hill. Unless they uncover it and they see stone blocks specifically... Or a, a door. Lot of them, or a door, or something like that. It seems rather improbable to me. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is, if you if you look it up on, on even if you look at the wiki, it's considered a cruel hoax uh, by the European Association of Archaeologists. Okay. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> like I say, it's, it's, it's considered a big joke. Um, but that's why I would use it in the idea of like maybe this is some you know something that you know is aging backwards, uh, and that that's uh, maybe a way you can work it in. And of course, uh, we all know that the technocracy would want it to be seen as a cruel hoax. 
Oh yeah, or um, or the God Machine. Obviously, it's all just one big uh, cover for uh, a more important infrastructure located, you know, five miles the other direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I can't think of any um, anything else that fits into that with other interesting ancient sites that we can think of. I mean, there's all the classics like Stonehenge and and the Nazca lines and all the other. Uh, locations like that um, uh, yeah but I think the fun thing is with these is to often kind of uh, re-examine how you could make use of them in your own games cool alright so is that it for the secret frequency I think it is let's kind of sounds good to me yeah let's go mm -hmm. on over to the new world of darkness world of darkness 2.0 we are looking at uh, the latest book from Mummy the Curse, which is, um, when I get the name right for it, so I'll go to the first page. <laughs> um, so we're looking at Curse Necropolis DC. So this is a uh, setting book for Mummy the Curse, located uh, using the location of Washington DC. The main themes of this is making use of the idea that, I guess, kind of fairly, that uh, in some respects, uh, Washington is the capital of of the current Rome, and as with all things that rise, they fall. Just as Irem rose, it fell, and so Washington D.C. is uh, is an interesting city. Not only because it is considered the city of monuments, it also has. Um, uh, an interesting uh, layout, which means it has particular uh, um, particular structure to it, and also certain certain number of these monuments have a uh, have a and, and certain important buildings um, reflect back on on more ancient uh, construction. So obviously, uh, Congress, the building of Congress obviously invokes ancient Rome. You have, obviously, um, the Washington Monument, which is a giant obelisk, which invokes ancient Egypt, and various other buildings that, of course, do the same. Um, so the main themes are, obviously, the idea of what has risen was fall, uh, the idea that there, that the mummies, the arisen, that live in Washington are wanting to bring about a new Irem, and that this Irem will not fall. And of course, that they, this may all just be uh, for folly, and that the fact that you know, their idea of creating this new Irem is uh, ludicrous. And into this, you then also have the idea that this is... Uh, a center of power where many relics are flowing to because numerous uh, arisen around the world actually hope that Washington will will uh, will transcend Irem itself and be an Irem reborn. Um, so yeah, then within the book we obviously get the history of Washington D.C. Uh, we get a bit about the uh, the people behind uh, who who chose that spot, the construction of the city, the layout of its city, and how it's been this constant conflict between the Arisen and mortals, as the Arisen, of course, over time have to go back 
due to their descent back into their tombs to sleep. Uh, we also then have the fact that, that Washington has its history interlinked with numerous other events, so obviously how it ties into the War of Independence and its original origin there, then into uh, the American Civil War, and then into more uh, recent events and how there are other places that have uh, occult uh, structure that were weakened uh, due to more recent events. So obviously it gets into like the Pentagon being this Pentagon in shape and how that ties in with more recent uh, uh, terrorist activities that have, of course happened. And then we have, of course, uh, how the Arizona are making use of their city, uh, how there's different factions, uh, how there's a main group of uh, a main merit of Arisen who are all guild masters who who are working towards this grand plan and who right now are awaiting their leader to wake up to guide them in 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 uh, continuing the construction of the city but of course he is nowhere to be seen. Uh, we then also have mixed in with all this uh, the dubious nature of the construction of the city. Was Washington DC uh, uh, was the construction of the city also aided by the deceived, the sixth guild of, of, uh, of Arisen, who are considered heretics. Um, which leads us into a, an interesting point that the Arisen thematically have more in common with the people that live in the city than the actual congressman and the president and so forth, because the very people that live in the city are not the controllers of a country. They are at the beck and call of the people that control the country, much like how the Arisen themselves are not the, 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 they're not the kings, they're not the emperors of, of Iram. They were the, they were the, uh, they were the attendants to the true leaders of Iram, the, the Shaniatu. And then we have within there, we have, there's pretty much, I think, almost every single uh, member of the Arisen of Washington is almost detailed because they say there's about only 24 that live in the city. So it's quite easy to fit 24 NPCs into a book. Uh, and then we, of course, have about how you would, how you would make use of the city for your own Fearing Chronicle and about balancing these different themes. And then we get the example story, which is, I think, quite interesting because I think it's maybe the most interesting part of the book because it gives us more insight into the deceived. How does the Sixth Guild uh, infuse concepts with Sekum? Because the other five, they have a physical thing they can play with, right? They have yeah, either either know. either a it bug or whatever. That. Really? No, because yeah. it's going to come. It's in it's in one of the next books. Ah, the deceived. I would still say from this book, I don't really know how to make use of the mummies because, again, the original are very focused on uh, gaining relics and channeling second into the duat. So. The whole thing of Washington being this new Iram seems like a uh, seems like a a single NPCs and then his 
group that he brought to him. Um, his kind of distraction from that, which I guess works into the idea of what the the struggle between mummies being slaves to their purpose and having freedom is all about. Um, but it still doesn't fill me with... Uh, I'm still not too sure exactly uh, what to run with this uh, city book and then what to run with mm. with Mummy itself. Did I say about the Deceived and about their conceptual magic? I did not hear anything about that. Right. So in the adventure you get, you have a um, you get some insight into this Deceived and you realize that they're relics because each guild has a particular relic attached to them that they use to channel Sekhem and to channel their magic. So the Deceived, uh, their relics, as it says here, um, are tied to more conceptual concepts. So they, for example, in this case, uh, the Deceived that's behind the plot of the story in this book is... Um, is able to make use of uh, his relic almost seems to be um, a star that you cannot see in the sky. And so he can see it because obviously he can see how Sekem flows. And he can see how it flows to this unseen star. Um, and it just ties into the idea that the deceived obviously have power over, over concepts, Whereas the scribes have power over over the words, they cannot create new words. The deceived can create new concepts, and and so uh, that is where their their magic is rooted. And so this uh, amkata that he makes has that literally tied into its body, uh, and so it's almost very uh, very chimerical in its uh, in its form. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff about the deceived from the very small sections in this book. But I'm still not really left with, with um, any greater feeling of how I would run uh, Mummy as a game. Uh, saying that, mm -hmm. I would say the DC setting, uh, from the way it's presented, um, shows how it would be really good for a mage game. Because obviously uh, you have all these monuments, you have all this uh, symbolism, you have the Pentagon and, and other things that represent control. And they all represent various different aspects of the Exarchs. So I think there's maybe something in that that can be used in other games. But personally still, I'm not too... Mummy really hasn't grabbed my my uh, interest as much as, say, Demon has. Uh, Demon, I get a feeling of, of what a game is about. and it's, it, Again, Demon seems very much more personal in nature because you're trying to understand why you're you're in the world while you're doing things can you be something more than what you were whereas with mummy um because of the way that memory works and so forth uh it makes it seem hard to find what your character's actual purpose is beyond just you know taking relics and and putting them in your tomb yeah yeah chris we were just discussing that a little bit last night uh with with aaron you know it seems like there's basically this these two core modes of play, which are either mummy politics or uh, collecting relics or MacGuffins, really. Uh, and beyond that, yeah, I'm kind of struggling to figure out what you're supposed to do. If there's like any other 
basic, more interesting gameplay modes, because you can kind of do those two things with basically all the other World of Darkness games. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are some pretty cool aspects to the DC setting. You know, the whole, there's this sort of Illuminati architectural conspiracy going on, which you, as the mummies, have caused, but you don't actually know what happens when you were asleep. So, you know, what you intended to be constructed might actually be something completely different. Uh, which is which is kind of neat and something interesting to, to explore as sort of like an occult uh, mystery kind of story. Um, another thing I was kind of thinking about from Mummy is that, you know, the mummery aspect... It, sorry, I think I said mummery. The <laughs> memory aspect. Uh, I don't know if that's used enough in the game. And I think one of the cool things you could do is that uh, by using the memory stat and the little little breadcrumbs that could be fed to players, uh, that could give you insight into the agenda of your antagonist, whether it be their political agenda or something different. Um, by looking to the past, you can you know give insight to the future, which I, I think could be a cool way to drive the story forward. Are you saying that a mummy game should be played like a uh, Highlander TV series? Uh wow yeah yeah actually, that's yeah <laughs> I actually that sounds a lot more when you put it that way and they do give in the in this book uh flashbacks so they give you key time oh, periods in DC's history that would be good to, to do flashbacks to yeah when you put it that way maybe Mummy is the Highlander game and then you, it changes things a lot more because. <sighs> I just the thing is, it's it's actually it's really funny you put it that way because in Highlander they're all fighting and vying for the final gift, this energy. And as Highlanders kill each other, they gain each other's ability. Well, not abilities, but they gain. There's the idea they gain their their power, whatever that bloody well means. The quickening. <laughs> the yeah. quickening. Um, and yeah, maybe Mummy is the perfect Highlander game. That's interesting. Are there rules for trench coats and um, katanas, katanas in the main book? No. Ah, <laughs> they missed an opportunity. No, it's more, it's more, um, it's more sickles and big cloaks. Um, but I think the thing that that I find problematic is that there's such a that there's such a high level. There's such a high-level goal for mummies to, that they work towards, whether they like to or not. And then the the I haven't really I don't feel like the politics that have been presented so far that mummies can get involved in seem really any point. They seem like mere contrived uh, distractions. Uh, to to kind of trick themselves that they're not just servants. I mean, maybe that is the point of the game, but I I don't feel like I don't feel like there's much I can get out of playing that. Um, well, um... and I find the antagon the antagonists within Mummy that they have so that's ghosts and really ancient ghosts, the Amkata, which are just created by mortals and the deceived, the Shuanks and uh, Last Dynasty International. They seem more interesting than the mummies themselves. Well, then you're running into the werewolf problem, where the antagonists are way cooler than the actual heroes. Yeah, Fomori are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, that's that's kind of an issue sometimes. Um, is there anything for the cults? Because that's a whole aspect of play um, that's discussed in the Mummy, the Cursed Core book. Uh, so I'm kind of wondering what support there is for, for cult play specifically. Not much more. It's, it's really just talking about how the how their cults fit into uh, the political and everyday life of Washington. So obviously, mm. you know, there's... There's a group of cultists who are involved in the Bennu Initiative, which is to digitize all the lost, uh, all the Eremite um, texts. And so there's this kind of, I think the cult, at, at that level, the cults are kind of interesting. And then that pushes us towards the thing that really, yeah, then the default play is maybe to play cultists. And maybe the, your, your storyteller is playing your Arisen. Maybe. Or the uh, you switch off and just one person places the Arisen each session. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, don't, I, I guess I just don't feel like I know what the, why, there, why there should be much an antagonism between the Arisen when they're all so tied to such a high-level concept. Like, I understand the the antagonism between say mages makes sense because they represent different paths to kind of the same ideal but we don't really i don't think we have i don't think we have the same kind of thing within mummy because each of the groups each of the guilds isn't really a path it's just a task that you performed and that doesn't really tell you that doesn't really change how your how you perceive. I don't really feel like it changes how you perceive um, the descent, really, or 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 the higher level of the game. Hmm. Or maybe that's know. just me. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for a classic world of darkness, Mummy first and second edition didn't really even have politics. Yeah. Just wasn't even a function of those games. But then in those but in in that one it was quite clear that you know your your group of mummies had a particular type they all came from a particular uh what was it called it wasn't a guild was it it was a something else well it's different in uh mummy the resurrection is different that's that's yeah. kind of its own thing but in mummy first and second edition uh there was only i think it's less than 100 i think it's like 72 mummies in the entire world so they're all fairly unique and I mean, the politics, I guess, is just like, oh, this this guy was a douchebag 500 years ago, so I don't <laughs> yeah, want to support that's him. What I, that's that's what I'm getting from. Uh, that's definitely that's still within Mummy the Curse. I think maybe it's just not my type of game. I don't think it's. I don't feel it's addressing a very. To me, it doesn't feel like it addresses a very high level concept in a game. Like I understand. So if you go through them all, I mean, you understand what with vampire you're fighting the 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 ennui of your of your uh, of your uh, existence. And you're trying to find how do you define your immortality because you haven't been around for too long, relatively speaking, compared to mummies. And you're also fighting the fact that you're forget you that. As vampires age, they forget things that can come back and bite you on the ass, like the Strix. And so there's a complex interplay between how a vampire sees how they fit into the world, but they're fairly free to explore that. 
Uh, mm. Werewolves obviously have have this whole thing that they are they are children of two worlds exiled from both. And again, they have a this this calling from millennia ago that they're that they're now fighting for. Yet they have to balance the two sides themselves and of the two worlds. And they all, but then all of that boils down into a very local problem. That is, here's you, here's your pack, here's your territory, and look after it. And so, you know, the the large, you don't have to go after these large scale things. You just deal with like there's been uh, a whole load of the 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 nearby stream has become polluted, and that in turn has polluted the water spirits, and is causing strange magath to to uh, appear. Which are now, you know, causing trouble with other spirits, and the knock-on effect of that is, say, there's been some accident somewhere, and so you're having to deal with. I think in in, in werewolf, you're looking at ha- kind of like a domino effect, and you're trying to to stop that and bring it all into balance. Uh, mage obviously is really really high concept, I think, because obviously it's dealing with how you fight your local war against the exarchs against and then how that plays into the the larger scheme of things and rediscovering ancient magics and and dealing with the hubris of that so again there's lots of different ways it intersects with things um promethean's obviously a road story and about becoming human and it's very clear what you're doing in promethean even though i thought that was a difficult that seems conceptually a difficult game to run. I think it's quite clear what you should be doing in that game. I think it's just it requires a lot of work how to run it. Yeah, it's, it's what kind of the doing. bookkeeping ahead of time. That's really yes. an issue with that game. And you really need to plan ahead a lot with that one, and the players need to have a good idea of what their what what would be important um, milestones for them. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, you've got Changing the Dreaming, which is about not wanting to leave your parents' basement. That's exactly yeah. it. Change, changing the Lost is quite obvious because, it's, again, it's kind of a finding your place in the world after you've and dealing with the abuse and, and, and it coming back after you. And also the fact that as you... And again, the balance between what you've experienced, which is this dreamlike world against the real world and trying to trying to stay sane because of course as you become more capable you're more capable of becoming in totally insane or so powerful that you're no different to one of the fae so changelings and changelings got that real creepy world vibe and there's always someone out to get you to do something kind of nefarious whether it's the um the loyalists or the bridge burners or the uh the can't think of the term. They're not well, loyalists. Hobgoblins coming and out of the And then you've got hobgoblins, yep. yeah. So the, and, then, and then you've got the court system, and then you've got the fae themselves. And there's a lot of stuff you can work with there, but it all boils down into kind of very local issues, like you see your best friend who who you have to hide away from because he thinks that the other thing is you, and you're seeing his, his, his mind being uh, filled with nightmares by one of the fae that's come into town. So it's very personal in that sense because you're 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 basically trying to hold on to a life that's been taken away. Geist is again about balance between life and death and so forth, and and building your own 
understanding of what death means. And when I get to Mummy, I'm still kind of left kind of feeling a bit cold. Just to backtrack a little bit, there's a really excellent post. I think it was by Fred Hicks, who's the guy who does Fate. And yeah. his point about Geist is that it's actually, you know, Changing the Dreaming is about not wanting to leave the basement. Geist is about after you're forced to leave the basement and, you know, making do with your life and trying to find your place and all that. It's pretty interesting. Pretty it interesting sounds point. almost to me as though Mummy is the mirror game of Demon the Descent. In Demon, you are a rogue element who is trying to escape this monolithic god machine who's trying to build something. And for whatever reason, you have rebelled or fallen or you are no longer towing the party line. In Mummy, the curse, it sounds almost as though you are the unfallen demon. You are trying to rebuild this ancient empire for whatever reason. You might not even know why or what was so awesomely great about it because you don't have all the memories needed. But there's something just deep inside your spiritual DNA that whatever you do leads toward the recreation of, of a rim. Well, yeah, because it's, it's very... The, the, um, the gods of the Duat, the judges, are quite... Um, and the Shaniatu in that case as well, are quite uh, eldritch in their nature because they, they reside in this underworld, which is not like any other part of the underworld in World of Darkness. It's very much separate from it, the Duat is, and they are reaping all the benefits of their... In my mind, Irimori exists, and it's happily in the underworld, and it's where the gods and the judges and the Shaniatu get to enjoy it. And their servants are just helping perpetuate it because the underworld runs off memories. And as things erode, you know, things are forgotten and lose their power in the underworld. But of course the judges have the whole thing that they make use of the fact that that Sekem still flows and they just need to require, they have servants in the real world channel it into their underworld so you are a servant who can't escape it because if you try to escape it you will descend quicker and you will lose your memories or you will return to a state where you lose your memories again because every time you you undergo the descent and you return to your tomb you lose all your memories of the previous time you were about until you reclaim those memories again um so I it, think it really does sound like the opposite of demon. It is the opposite of demon in that sense. Like almost is. a mirror image where the demons are trying to construct something from nothing and the mummies are trying to reconstruct everything from what they start out with, which is just a driving goal. I think yeah. I just really can't think of a good chronicle for mummy. Like why would other than with a lot of the antagonists, I can't think of why they would be going after the mummies or why there's there's political strife amongst them other than for always really petty or base reasons. Because as much as that can be, those are all very good to create drama when you, you need something 
along with your Chronicle concept. I don't see what else there is because it all just seems rather pointless. Mm-hmm. I got you, Chris. I got you. All right. Um, well, that's Cursed Necropolis DC. <laughs> if people have ideas on how to run a Chronicle yeah. in a better way, they should uh, email us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would be very interested to uh, see yeah. some ideas. So, cool. Uh, I think that's it for the New World of Darkness. So let's move on over to our closing segment and also the contest. Yay, contest. Oh, wait, we don't have a we don't have a bumper there. Okay, hey, we're in the closing segment. <clears throat> All right, so yeah, we had contest. And I got to say, compared to our previous contest, we had, I think, five times the number of entries. So that so means we've had, what, 30 or so? Uh, yeah, yeah, thereabouts, 35-ish. So, yeah, Ooh. definitely really, uh, really huge, and uh, definitely appreciate that. I figured we should just kind of, you know, go through some of these uh, entries, kind of, you know, give our remarks, um, see what we, we think ourselves, and, uh, yeah, it should just be a pretty fun time. Uh, one thing I did notice, like a general overall trend is uh, there's there's three games that I noticed uh, people are kind of coming back to, or three basic concepts. Uh, the first one is Gargoyles. Um, that came up a bunch of times, and, you know, it seems like it could be kind of a cool idea. Even more popular than that, though, was actually dragons. You know, whether it be sort of ancient entities or something a bit more Eastern, uh, there were quite a few entries uh, discussing that kind of a game. And then finally, I think the most popular was actually sort of a superhero-inspired game. Maybe a good one to start with is this one right here. You know, discussing maybe uh, to battle against the god machine, uh, perhaps there's mortals who are empowered by old gods or even a sort of a Cthulhu-like entity. Um I think that's pretty cool and really would fit into the World of Darkness itself, since we do have Cthulhu entities discussed in, say, Second Sight for the New World of Darkness. Um, yeah, I think it'd be good and kind of fits both the superhero genre and the general Gnostic feel uh, that we currently have in the World of Darkness. What do you guys think? I think that one was my personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. It could be a good way of um, resurrecting from Second Sight the whole psychic abilities stuff they did. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that could be. Maybe that's just the uh, the first stage. Now we're getting to the real thing. Yeah, definitely pretty cool. I don't know, guys. I mean, just kind of like kick through all of our entries, and maybe we can find something uh, something kind of interesting. Uh, Abyssal the voiding. Um, <laughs> not sure what they're voiding, but uh, could be cool. Maybe sounds like a poop code to me. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. There's been a lot uh, of stuff involving fishmen, hasn't there? I think we've had a few entries with yeah, fishmen for that, and a few for like genies. Um, yeah, Street the fishmen. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good one. Wait, wait, wait. What? What was the exact title? Yes, Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, 2. the storytelling game, Turbo, Turbo Edition. Edition. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good one. Um, yeah, with regard to the fish people or deep ones or you know creature from the Black Lagoon, obviously that's kind of the, the thing they're riffing off of. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, obviously, it goes with. Of, yeah, it's kind of covered by certain games already, though. What with the kind of water, watery element, you know, we have certain things in Changeling already like that. Uh, the same in um, 
of the Sirens in mum in uh, not in mummy in in uh, Promethean. Um, I don't really know how you can make a full game out of playing. Yeah, well, exactly. I guess you've got I guess you've got the the you've got the creature from Black Lagoon. You've got a mermaid, which is a bit more less gross looking. Um, but what else do you go with? You're gonna have manatees. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're uh, they're sea cows or something. Yeah, I mean I just don't know what would it be like an underwater society or I just I don't know I don't know what to do with that one. Um, Chig, Chig, what do you got? Hit me with it. Um, you could have the merfolk or the selkies or the uh, creatures from the Black Lagoon uh, who have to um, they work as like. Uh, werewolves in that they are trying to save the uh, two-thirds of the planet that's covered in water from the uh, uh, onslaught of chemicals and stuff that we're dumping in them. Chig, don't you remember last episode when we were discussing the New World of Darkness book that already kind of covers that, called Changing Breeds? I vaguely was. Uh, yeah, let's not do that again. <laughs> but I want to play a were-octopus, darn it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Right, that's cool. That's legit. That's legit. <laughs> you just play Cthulhu Tech then. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We played Cthulhu Tech. I was a Pokemon master. It was fantastic. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. With your uh, 1920s gangster Pokemon. That's right. Yeah. All right, what's, what else do we have here? Uh, Shagoth. Trent- the consuming. Okay. Uh, transhuman. The singularity. Mm. Yes. Yes, a transhuman sort of game. Maybe. I mean, we already have that in the classic World of Darkness, a lot with the technocracy of uh, Mage of the Ascension. And the virtual adepts. And the, yeah, yes. yeah, the, them too. Uh, and transhuman man. stuff is kind of covered in some ways, respect with uh, the Free Council, uh, hmm. sort of a mage. And you kind of get kind of the same feeling, but with a more eldritch vibe from Demon. Because you're kind of transcending humans by stealing bits of them and making a patchwork cover. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Demon kind of is the off-color Trans- cyberpunk game. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a little bit. Hmm. Bigfoot the Sasquatching. Bigfoot the Squatching, I believe it says. Oh, my, my bad. <laughs> My bad, I can't. There's remember. a huge difference. There, there is. Uh, uh, let's see what else we got here. I'm really just clicking around, just kind of like finding stuff. Blade Two: The Underworld, Hobo the Hunted. <laughs> well, that's Promethean. I think we already got that one. Stubble the Thickening. That's just Werewolf. <laughs> yeah, there's another. There's a neck. Yeah, there's also a neckbeard game that someone recommended. Kaiju the Devastation. Hmm. So I don't have to play a were octopus. I can just play a giant octopus. Yes. I am exactly. And Uh, you have to battle teenagers who are poorly dubbed as they battle you in giant robots. Uh, Could work. I think that would actually be a great expansion to uh, Street Fighter 2, the storytelling game. I I think that they already covered that in the old World of Darkness with the uh, Hunter's... uh, Supplement for um, Kindred of the East. There was oh. No cr- oh, 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 yes. Yes, that <laughs> Demon one. Hunter that one. X. Demon X. Hunter yeah. X. 
which I uh, almost used for a game. Almost. Oh, have we covered Demon Hunter X on uh, nope. on Darker Days? We should we haven't covered do that. anything. They, like, anything. They covered Demon Hunter X, though, on... Uh, did they not cover that on Midnight Express? Oh, uh, they did. Yeah, they talked about they it a little did, bit. They did, didn't they? Yeah. That was definitely a game that happened. <laughs> Mole Man, The Undermining. That's the one I just clicked on. Mole it's Man, oh, subversive. Yeah. Yeah. That could work. That could work. So you have an underground society this time, and they're working to, um, let's say, undermine all the cities, right? And destroy them. To stop the god machine from making its uh, little power nodes. It's perfect. That's a great one. Man. Accountants, the balancing. Lobbyists, the bribing. Attorney, the billing. <laughs> Chupacapra, uh, the elusive. Oh, yeah, that could work. And then, of course, we've got the uh, compulsory alien one, which is Alien the Unknown. Oh, wait, what is this one? Undine, the Corruption, a game of mystic intrigue and sensual horror. Before the collapse of Pangea, you were the very fire of creation, primordial, luminous, cataclysmic. Before the coming of the God Machine, you were the very passion of the Earth, powerful, alien, perfect. Before the fall of Atlantis, you were the very current of the ocean, seductive, irresistible, capricious. Now you are adrift on oceans, both real and metaphorical. The Fomori hunt you, former slaves seeking revenge against former masters. The Diva Corporation stalks you, powerful men seeking yet more power. Humanity beguiles you, flame drawing a moth to destruction. With sigils in hand, you seek to recover the Philosopher's Stone, and so transcend the world. See, wow, whoever, whoever that, Agent Westmer is, that sounds really awesome. I don't know what you do in that game, but like... That is how you play a Mer game right there. Yeah, I think I think that is that is the Mer game. So, ooh, so in that one they'd be trying to seek out and find ancient artifacts with which to transcend. Kind of reminds me of Little Mummy, Little Mummy right there. Or even Maybe. Little Little Mage, Little Mage. I like the uh the former slave seeking revenge thing there. Yeah, it's opposite of say Changeling. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I like it. Okay. Um, I think we probably didn't click on everyone's thing right here because we're just kind of like going through, you know, pretty pretty willy-nilly being like, hey, zombie the shambling. Oh, someone else is doing a zombie game right now. So, you know, if that ever comes yeah. out, if it ever comes out, you got your zombie yeah. game. Awesome. Cool. All right. So. I think with that, it's time to uh, figure out some winners right here. So let me start up the uh, Darker Days randomization computer. Chick, can you make oh, some like R2-D2 noises or something? Beep, boop, 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 beep, beep, boop. Okay. I imagine that the music should be from the Magic Roundabout for this. Yeah. And the winner is, Mike? We have, in first place... Beverly McGaughan or McGaughan I can't pronounce names but there you go Beverly and what you was are her in contest first place entry? you have oh it was Plants the Grown that her entry was Pl- why what? did we not talk about that one yeah Plants the Grown <laughs> okay 
They're not just in the woods, they're in your garden, and even in your homes, <laughs> engaged in a stealth guerrilla war with humanity, biding their time until they're ready to invade, Trifid style. Nice, I like that one. Alright, and second place, or first runner-up, is Oral Chromatography. What is this? What'd they say? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, Let's go with Dragons. Uh, dragons of the East from ancient China, calling it Dragons the Balance. Could be interesting. Um, kind of plays into some uh, similar themes to maybe like the old mummy that we were just talking about, where they have to uh, kind of make sure there's a balance within the world. Um, yeah, that could be neat. That could be neat, where they can be either good or evil. And third place is Eric Crabtree. He sent us a plethora of suggestions from Blade 2, The Underworld, Fanboys, The Entitlement, oh uh, yeah, Hobo the Hunted, we mentioned, and of course, Cryptids, The Unknown. So there we go. Those are the uh, three winners. We'll uh, get in contact with you about uh, the various books that you've won. Uh, of course, first place got a signed copy of The God Machine Chronicle, and then uh, second place can choose between a um, copy of... The God Machine Chronicle, or Geist the Sin Eaters, which has been donated to us quite kindly by the U.S. Postal Service, because they kind of dented it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Postal Service. Thanks. And also donated by the overall awesome uh, customer service of Drive-Thru RPG. So, there we go, guys. Uh, anything else to talk about for closing remarks? Um, people should... I think um, it'd be good because we obviously look for secret frequencies. Uh, they should please send us more. Um, it is hard to find some good new stuff. So people, if you have a particularly good one, send them in. Or, because I've been dying to do it, send us in your ideas for Chronicles. And we can, so Chronicle Outlines, maybe we can do a new, whole new segment where we read out someone's idea for a Chronicle idea uh, and um, we can dissect it and see what ideas we can gain from that. Like, send us one for Mummy, please. Not just dissect, but embellish as well. You know, see yes. what we have for uh, our own ideas for it. Yeah, that could be a really awesome one. That sounds and like because, a fun segment for next season. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's the end of the season, so as usual, we're going to do our, our typical request to, uh, you know, send us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com with some, uh, or, or post on our, our G+, for some ideas uh, for what to do next season. Um, I know people still really want a Kindred of the East episode. Um, <laughs> we have invited a an Onyx Path uh, writer on the show uh, to help us go over that interesting setting and uh, interesting game, so uh, hopefully she can make it and uh, we can finally get to that one, because I know uh, a lot of people are interested. Um, but other than that, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot that we uh, already want to do, but if you have some cool ideas, let us know, because uh, maybe your ideas are going to be better than ours. So that's uh, what we're going to be looking for. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're Darker Days Radio. If you want to uh, get in contact with us, of course, send us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Additionally, you can uh, hang out with us on our G Plus uh, community, Google Plus. Uh, just type in uh, Darker Days Radio into uh, G Plus or uh, check the show notes for this, and uh, you can uh, find a link there. That's probably our most active uh, community. Um, but we actually have more likes on Facebook, and uh, mm-hmm. definitely people keep uh, keep flocking to that. So we'll keep posting there as long as people are interested. 
um, where, uh, you know, definitely we, uh, you know, put up some photos of uh, recently painted miniatures and, you know, other other quick discussion topics uh, yonder. And then there's, of course, the blog, Chris, isn't there? There is the blog, which, you know, obviously, um, I don't know, the moment I get a good good to go ahead on maybe uh, trying to post stuff up, I am, you know, I might post up some stuff about fading suns or something i don't know i get to spill the beans soon on on some stuff i've been given the go-ahead on that but yeah we've got the blog um normally we've got videos there or or pictures or when i feel like writing a battle report um so cheeky yeah you should definitely get your miniatures up on there and um and write up maybe a review of how malifaux works for us uh because i know jack all about it uh I, i could maybe do that i've played a couple of games now um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes we've got like how to make certain bits of scenery on there as well. When I, when I've done that, I will need uh, to read those. Uh, is there anything else that where people can find us? Uh, that's pretty much it. I think, uh, we're also on Twitter. Oh, of course. At darker days radio. That's right. And we're also on Tumblr, but I, I need to remember to update stuff on there. <laughs> So much social media. Um, All right, awesome. So I think that's it for this episode of Darker Days Radio. It's going to be a fun one to listen to and a fun one for me to edit. Awesome. So have a good night, everyone. See ya. See you next season. Pentacle Mage, or or Seers of the Throne, or a bunch of Mad Mages, or one of the X number of Left-handed Path Mages. Yeah, and so it, it, there's actually there's a reason why all these you know you're a mage, but there's a lot more flavor in there. Whereas all mummies are mummies, and except for like the Deceived and Shuangsen, but like the Shuangsen seem to have a very have a very different kind of like they remember everything. So they don't lose their memory because they're not servants. They're, they were the sacrifices. So they want to just take out mummies because I think they just want to. They just want to return, return everything to fully to be dead. Maybe. And it's just weird because like, the judges of Duat already won. So, yeah. And you were working for them. So what am I doing now? Well, we're battling over relics in Sekum. For what reason? Because we got to do something. <laughs> yeah, and I, I even like in Vampire in Requiem, like you know, they're fighting over something. You're already all immortal, but there's a lot more like there's a lot more of a philosophical discussion in there about what that immortality involves, and the, and mm. as well as dealing with the things that well, what created vampires, which you don't even get in in Masquerade. You don't have that well, as yeah, much, maybe. It, but in Masquerade, it's kind of the reason for the strife is slightly different. It's sometimes that kind of political ideology between the Camarilla and the Sabbat, but it's more the fact that, all right, I'm a powerful vampire. No one can kill me except for other powerful vampires. So what am I going to do? Get rid of those other powerful vampires. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
either by killing them or marginalizing them. So that's what kind of drives the entire conflict. That's why the Antiluvians are fighting. That's why the Methuselahs are, the Elders, the Ancilla, and so forth. Um, so that's kind of the reason for the conflict in that game. You know, it's 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 a mafia game. That's what Vampire the Masquerade really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you don't demonstrate your power, then you're going to lose it. So the moment you ever gain any power, yeah. you've got to demonstrate it because people then think you're weak and try and take it from you. It's this kind of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, but... Ah, yeah, I'm just, I I guess I'm utterly dissatisfied with Mummy. I mean, there's cool stuff in there, so it's not like it's a waste. It's just like... Oh, oh. no, it's not a waste. It's a great antagonist book. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like, seriously, it's chock full of stuff for, like, you know, for as antagonists. I think they're wonderful antagonists for, like, vampire or mage or geist. Um, But... As an actual playable thing, I don't know. I really don't yeah. know. Got me. It, it happens sometimes. I mean, you know, Chig and I, we have debates sometimes about, you know, Hunter's Hunted versus Hunter the Reckoning, but it's all oh, pretty yeah. much just moot because Hunter the Vigil is just the superior game in every single way. Yeah, it kind of is. Although Hunter the Vigil is way more like Hunter's Hunted than it is Hunter the Reckoning. Um, yes. No. I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry that you're but, wrong again. <laughs> Whoa, Chig. Them's <laughs> fighting words. Happens. You want you want to get started with this? All right, Chig. Get your, get your little hunters hunted over there. You know, it's a cool book with all of its mm-hmm. superpowers. That's it's my point. Yeah. Mostly mortals who might have a like a, a hint. Oh, I'm sorry. The, let me let me go look at the uh, let me go look at the NPCs in this book. Power. Here, it's right over here. Here, we're going to end this once and for all. I'm recording right now, by the way. Okay. All right? Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about the hunters hunted and the ridiculous holy powers? They're not even that ridiculous. They're super low-key. Oh, low-key, you say? Oh, hmm, hmm. Let me, let me see. Kanglor, yeah. Kanglor, the lupine, uh, he has... <clears throat> He has uh, Fortitude 5, Celerity 3, Potence 5, Presence 3, and Protean 2. Hmm, seems pretty super-powered. Uh, oh, let's see, who's this Arctos? He's a mage in Hunter's Hunted 2 with... That's a lot of thaumaturgy. Um, hmm, hmm, who else Which do we have? weird because he's a mage. Uh-huh, yeah, well, they didn't have the mage book out yet. Oh, Walker Grimes. Oh, what's that? Another vampire. Huh. Hmm. Dominate 2, Obfuscate 2, Potence 2. That seems like a lot of powers. Hmm. Hmm. Tell oh, when you get to the oh. one that has the lightsaber. Someone has a lightsaber here? <laughs> no, wait. That's every Avenger. My mistake. Oh, okay. But really, I'm just kind of pointing out that your entire, <laughs> entire argument that they're low-key, low-powered... Mm, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. What does the this person in, have? The NPCs might not oh. be. Oh, but I'm sorry. Caiaphas Smith? Caiaphas Smith. Oh, he's... Wait, is this a dude that's a ghoul? Do, 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 do. Yeah, he's a ghoul. He's a ghoul. He's been around for uh, 150 years. Haven't we all? Nope. Oh, sorry. 176 years. Uh, his method is religious and heavy firepower. Hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Do we have any other pre-made splats in here? No. I'm sorry. Hey, let me go to the magic powers section. Actually, no, 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 no. Let me do that, Chig. Let me do that. Well, let's look at merits and flaws. Merits and flaws. Oh, hold on. Is this the true faith? Oh, there's no merits and flaws in here. That's weird. Hmm. Other than faith. Hmm. Examples of miracles. By the way, these only cost a solid. Uh, how many points? I don't know. It doesn't cost a lot. All right, anyone can uh -huh. get it. Sure. Mm, cleanse the taint of evil from an area. We already went through this on an episode. Uh, yeah. Change the nature of a person. It's conversion. You can what? Number nine. Exercise demons or evil spirits. That's cool. Lay a ghost to rest. Okay. Permanently leave an aura of tranquility in an area such as a violent slum. Yeah, that's and something. to get those, you need to have humanity of nine or ten, as well as true faith of the same level, which you can't really get without storyteller approval because there's no real systematic method of improving your true faith. Uh, except for it costs five freebie points to buy a level of faith. And it costs a hunter a current rating times three to raise faith with experience points. They've changed that since I looked. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry they changed or, the book from 1992. Or they've changed it in the more recent edition. I'm sorry. Do you want to talk about uh, telepathy that's in here? How about spiritual pale auras? Uh, spiritually invisible. Being the fist of God. What? Whoa. Whoa. Seven point merit. You can deliver blows to the kindred that cause aggravated damage. Hell. With your fist, hmm. which which is all of your uh, merit points. So, you do ag damage to vampires, which is the only thing you're fighting in this thing. Oh, five point merit. You're just a ghoul. Hey, have fun with your potence one. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's an interesting one. Five point flaw. Beast within. The beast is awakened within you. You're prone to frenzies, just like a vampire. That's a cool flaw. It's a fun one to have. Cleared sight. You can see through all levels of obfuscate with perception plus alertness roll. Hmm. Against the level of obfuscate plus three. So that means difficulty against hide and shadows. Difficulty four. Difficulty four, Chig. That's a three-point merit. Yep. Three-point merit to just see invisible things. Sure. And if you have the medium merit, you can see any spirit. Any of them. <laughs> pretty nice. Yeah, it is pretty good. Thanks, Hunters Hunted. So there you go, Chig. I think I've proved my point that your book is just as superpowered as Hunter the Reckoning. All of it is optional. None of it is optional in the Reckoning. Uh, you can be a bystander in Hunter the Reckoning. You can. They're pretty low-key, aren't they? Eh. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to join these uh, monolithic organizations that have, you know, like... Um... I can't even think of any of their names, you know, like the uh, Chiron Group or, or so forth. Inquisition. Or the, uh, yeah, you don't have to join any of those groups, and they have access to ridiculous tech. You can just play a bunch. Yeah, you have all this backing. Yeah, it's money, man. Money. Money. Good luck having resources five and Hunt of the Reckoning when you're a plumber. <laughs> a plumber, Chig. Yeah, Bye. instead you have, um, what is it, uh... Arsenal 5. 
Because you're a plumber who happens to collect tanks on the weekends. Shut up. It's a terrible background. It's the stupidest <laughs> it's thing in, in that the book. Corvus. It's the stupidest one. They should have never, never put that in. I agree. <laughs> you're a plumber who is also Batman. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> that is what Arsenal 5 is. Okay, Trig, you're fine. Are you? You got me. You got me on that one. Arsenal Five, ironically, is my big gun in this argument. 